I think we're looking at privacy the wrong way is trying to protect data, which isn't going to happen because even if you say, hey, we're putting in a law that says you, California company, can't collect that data, North Korea is still collecting that data. A birthday is a perfect example. We all say, oh, that's private. People shouldn't know that. But I guarantee you, I can go out of eight out of 10 people's Facebook page and it'll say happy 30th, happy 40th. I know exactly what day they were born on and what year they were born on. It's out there. So instead of looking at it that way, let's look at it the other way. It's very simple for the phone companies to change the technology so that when you call me, they've verified who you are that's calling me. And then I should not have two buttons on my phone, answer or no. I should have answer, decline, and block. And if I hit block, I never hear from that person again. It's super simple. Like we have the technology to do that. There's no reason not to do that. Just stop it. The run of the mill, cheesy, humdrum bullshit status quo just tires me out. What fascinates me are the industry disruptors, the superhuman frontiersmen or women with errors in their backs who go through hell to achieve their goals. They'll go through anything to make it. They bathe in hell and high water, a cut above. They're intolerant to mediocrity, the status quo, and yet they're the nicest people you'll ever meet. This is Disruption Interruption. Join me as we meet and learn from those mavericks, rebels, and business leaders that aren't afraid to piss off the establishment in order to make radical change for good. This show is sponsored by Johto PR, the disruptive anti-PR firm that murders your competition with cinder blocks and cyanide. Welcome back, everybody, to Disruption Interruption. I'm your host, KJ, and we're here today to talk to another industry leader that has steered off the lame, tired path of the status quo. Today's guest has been disrupting since he was 18 when he started his first software company. He's since turned into a serial entrepreneur, starting and successfully exiting businesses or growing them for over 25 years. Now, we're talking to him today because he, quote unquote, fell into a powerful niche from buying foreclosures. And with what he knew about technology, he then created a company that brought greater transparency and stability to the real estate market, something we always need. The transparency was so disruptive that he was invited on the 60 Minutes to tell the nation and give like an overview of what was really happening in the real estate market using his new technology application. As the foreclosure in frenzy cooled, he expanded his business beyond realtors and investors, also helped small businesses leverage public records data to better target and reach their best potential customers. I'm so interested in finding out about this. SMBs have had such a pent up demand. They're getting a lot of attention now. But coming to us live from California, please welcome our disruptor, founder at propertyradar.com, Sean O'Toole. Good morning, KJ. Thanks for having me. That was an awesome intro. <laughs> well, you have a pretty awesome story. So I want to hear all about 60 Minutes. I want to hear all about like foraying into this niche. But let's tell our listeners. As a disruptor, what is your main ingredient for disruptive innovation? It's really, you know, looking at things that already exist in new ways. Steve Jobs had the first computer that really used a mouse, the, the Macintosh, but he saw that at Xerox Labs, right? He didn't invent that per se, but he put it together in a new way and made it affordable to a new set of folks and brought it out of the laboratory. 
Bill Gates didn't invent operating systems, but you know, he took a different path, made it more affordable, more accessible, and took it essentially away from IBM and made it available to a lot more people. And I think most disruption you'll see is isn't necessarily invention. It's instead reusing things that we already see in whole new ways. The recombination of existing using imagination, what could be done. That's actually the first time I've heard that from a disruptor. (laughs) Yes, I'm not kidding. No, I think that's great. I didn't know that about Steve Jobs. I didn't know that about the mouse. And same thing with the uh, graphical user interface, right? The map was really the thing that made it popular, but that also Xerox Labs. So yeah, anyways. Interesting. That's pretty awesome. Well, let's talk about, gosh, I want to talk about the real estate. I want to talk about, you know, SMBs, but since what you do right now really helps small businesses, let's talk about the status quo of what's not been or been available or, you know, what SMBs have or not had that have not been helping them <laughs> until now. Yeah, I break small business marketing. And, and I really mean uh, demand gen, not PR, but in demand gen, I break it down into kind of four quadrants. And that's targeted versus not targeted, and inbound versus outbound. So inbound would be like putting up a blog and having people read it and then come to you. Outbound would be like a piece of direct mail, right? And so kind of untargeted inbound would be our traditional media, newspapers, radio, TV, billboards, all of those types of of things. And, you know, and people are tuning out on those and you get to the ads in the TV and you're down on your phone or you're, you know, using your DVR to skip them or et cetera, right? Inbound, which HubSpot made really popular they with did. content marketing, the rest of so blog, YouTube, all the rest. Well, you know, the problem there is you get 300 hours of new video posted to YouTube every minute. Really? You, know, you could be the best pest control company. Yeah, 300 hours every minute. So you could be the best pest control company in the world, put up an amazing video on your local pest issues. And a year later, pretty good chance only your mom's seen that, unless you put advertising dollars behind it, right? Mm-hmm. Damn. And or search engine optimization. So coming over to a little bit more targeted inbound. So you add the search engine optimization, you add the paid. And that helps. But the problem there is big business is winning, right? You search sell my home and you probably won't find a local realtor until page three. Unless Google happens to use the Google local, you know, bit, which they're starting to do in some places, but which is more directory. But, uh, you know, so just it's very hard for a small business to win against big business in that category as proven by Zillow because they're now getting a 35% referral fee to give you a lead that they generate. So if you're a realtor, Zillow is going to outperform you in your local market for capturing those local eyeballs. And then they're going to sell you back that lead for 35%, which is just, you know. That's astronomical. I mean, that is a capitalized market though, isn't it? Boy, they've really capitalized on that. Yeah, but you see it in roofing, solar, you know, all these different small businesses, if the small business even still gets the lead at all, you know, versus something like Amazon, where they just cut the small business, local small business out completely and ship direct, Mm. right? So big business is really killing small business in that area. And that kind of left this last quadrant, which is targeted 
outbound marketing where you find the right people in your market and you reach out to them directly, right? No big business can insert themselves in between you and a postcard or you and a phone call or you and a text message, et cetera. So you can make those direct contacts. The problem is how do you, how do you find those people? And this is the disruption, right? As I realized, wow, there's public records data is incredible, right? There's all kinds of information on at least every homeowner in the U.S. and quite a bit on everybody else as well. And homeowners make up 65% of the population. So there you, you know, you know what their home's worth, you know how long they've lived there, a lot of information about that. We marry that with other information like how old they are, whether they have kids and the rest. You can get really targeted, you know. You're a diner, you want to uh, do a, a Tuesday night senior special, right? How would you like to find all the seniors in your market and let them know directly? That was the the thing I saw. I found public records when I started flipping real estate and buying foreclosures and had to go down to the county recorder's office to get the foreclosure notices and went, wow, what is all this? And it just set my mind to fire on all the possibilities. That's fantastic. It is fantastic. I'm glad that you really painted the picture here because this is what small businesses are really up against, right? I mean, we hear about a lot of tactics and do this, do that. And, you know, it takes a long time for SEO. That's just, it's a long haul game, right? People are tuning out of advertising, you know, signing up for services that charge them an astronomical amount, like Groupon or, you know, Zillow with these like 35% referral fees. Amazon and big businesses are like just bypassing that market. 300 hours every minute on YouTube. I, I just, I have to really like, put those pain points there because it really is what small businesses are up against. And they are the backbone of our economy. They employ 47% of the population. So about half the population, right? They are the ones that donate to your local sports teams, you know, that that run the churches that are the mayors and leaders in the community, right? Like, Local community doesn't exist without small business. And both of our political parties don't care about small business either. They both attack small business. It's, It's just, it's really frustrating. And, you know, I grew up in Silicon Valley, had three Silicon Valley based startups and the entire venture capital private equity firm is built to even to help startups serve enterprises. They really don't help build companies that serve small businesses. And so all the innovation, all the effort is really not all, but most of it is going towards helping big business. And there are very few folks out there working to help small business. And I've been very fortunate and I was fortunate in Silicon Valley. I was fortunate flipping real estate. And this is the windmill I've decided to tilt at. Yeah, it's a pretty incredible windmill. I'm glad you're doing it. So you have this, you know, background in technology, you were looking at this and, you know, the wheels started spinning. So can you really get data, public record data, like on how old someone is or how many kids they have? And, you know, that is that is public data today? Most of the real estate data is true public record, right? 
divorce. <laughs> there's a lot of other things in there uh, too. Yeah. Bankruptcy, foreclosure, you're behind on your taxes. There's, I mean, there's all those kind of distressed indicators, which is where I got my start was buying foreclosures, right? Mm-hmm. But we did expand beyond just the public record. There is another kind of set of data that's called co-reg data, co-registration data. And this really comes to the, if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. I don't know if you've ever heard that that term before, but we all sign up for stuff every day where we give up some of our personal information and we get to use something for free. And the business model for a lot of those companies is selling our information. So we do buy a lot of co-registration data as well. And that's how we fill in phone numbers, email addresses, you know, ages, other things along those lines. Income levels, net worth, I mean, lots of lots of other demographics data. Right. Got it. You know, this is just as an aside because, you know, that co-registration data and privacy, you know, it's all taking a big hit, right? Uh, yeah. In the court of public opinion, right? But it also is very valuable to the marketing for small businesses to keep them going, right? And the only thing you hear about is the worst stories. That's very valuable to the consumer as well. If I'm a consumer, do I want my mailbox filled with things that aren't relevant to me, right? Do I want email on things that aren't relevant to me? Like advertising has to exist. You can say, hey, we should just stop advertising altogether, but- No, it has to exist. It it really has to exist, right? And we want it to exist. Like right now, I really need a tile guy. I've been saying this for a while and I still need a good tile guy to, to do some work at my house. And I haven't had the time to go look for one, right? And if I got a piece of direct mail, if they cold called me or whatever, I'd be ecstatic. I'm like, oh my gosh, I need you right now, right? (laughs) Some of the best services I've gotten for my house have been directly targeted to me. We used to have the folks would knock on our door and paint our our numbers on our curb, clean our gutters, and that stopped. But it was great. Like, you didn't have to think about it. It was great. Every year, right? I yeah. think we think about this privacy thing the wrong way, right? We think about privacy as we've got to contain data. And ultimately, that's a fool's errand. You can't contain data, right? You have a phone number in order to share it with people so that they can call you, right? That's the purpose of a phone number. So I'm going to keep my phone number private it is not the purpose of a phone number. Like when I grew up, we had the white pages and I could just go in there and you could find anybody who called and it was great because there was lots of good reasons to call people. I think we we're looking at privacy the wrong way is trying to protect data, which isn't going to happen because even if you say, hey, we're putting in a law that says you, California company, can't collect that data. North Korea is still collecting that data, right? A birthday is a perfect example. <laughs> I laugh, but you're right. Yeah. Birthday Tell is me, a perfect a example. A we all say, oh, that's private. People shouldn't know that. But I guarantee you, I can go out of eight out of 10 people's Facebook page and it'll say happy 30th, happy 40th, right? I know exactly what day they were born on and what year they were born on, right? Let's, it's <laughs> so it's true. out there, right? Yeah. So instead of looking at it that way, let's look at it the other way. It's very simple for the phone companies to change the technology so that when you call me, they've verified who you are that's calling me. And then I should ha- not have two buttons on my phone, answer or no. I should have answer, right, decline, and block. 
And if I hit block, I never hear from that person again. It's super simple. Yeah. Like we have the technology yeah. to do that. There's no reason not to do that. <laughs> Sean, there's your next one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what types of businesses is this data really good for? Because you're mentioning service businesses, B2C, things like that. But, you know, give me, give me the gamut. You know, we started off in the foreclosure data business, then we expanded to covering all properties and we're still property centric. Today, we serve primarily property centric business, realtors, both residential and commercial, real estate investors, home services companies like roofers, solar, property management. Tile. Tile, yes. So that's still our primary focus because we're very property centric as a platform. We pull in this other data and we have data on every adult in the United States, but today we're very property centric. We did have a, a local charter airline. I live in a, in a resort, Lake Tahoe. They fly people back and forth from the Bay Area to here and they figured out they could find high value properties here with owners that also had high value properties in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area. And they targeted those folks. They had this brilliant billboard up on Highway 80 that said, if you'd flown with Mountain Lion, you'd already be there, right? It was just, I couldn't think of a better advertising campaign because that's right where you get stuck and you're going five miles an hour and it takes you eight hours to get up here on a snowy weekend. And yet they sent out a really nice letter in a large envelope to these folks that had valuable homes here and also had valuable homes in the Bay Area. And they will tell you that almost all of their business came from that direct mail campaign and they can't point to a single customer that came from that billboard. That's fantastic. Where do you see this going? So if you're very property centric now, do you have plans to expand it beyond that? You know, with your imagination and how things, this data could be used, what what are your plans? Well, you know, we continue to expand into new. We've got a lot of nonprofits that use us. You know, every time a new high net worth individual moves into the area, they introduce Mm. themselves, talk about their services. And we definitely have other small businesses use us, you know, like an example of what I'd like to change and what I'm still working on is on the roadmap is today... I have a friend who owns a high-end gym for women. She wanted to target high net worth women. It's very high-end. So in the and it's not everything has to be high, high net worth. I keep using these examples, but 45 to 65 years old. And we could make that list for her very easily. But because we're property-centric and because we're still in this patriarchal society for some dumb reason, the title always lists the man first, right? It's Sean and Maureen O'Toole, not Maureen and Sean O'Toole. And we pull that public records in that way. So we put the name that came first, first, right? Mm. She went to go do her mailing, right? We had that as the owner name and we couldn't pull out just, you know, the Maureen side. So that's a piece that we're still working on that I think will make it a lot better for other small businesses that aren't property centric. Yeah, yeah, that's actually really cool. Do you see this being able to be used for B2B as well in the future? Yeah, I mean... It seems like it'd be a little harder. Yeah, we get that question a lot. And I need that myself, right? Because we don't we don't market to consumers, yeah. but I market to realtors and, and the rest. And there are companies like Zoom Info and the rest that are in this B2B marketplace. But 
No offense to Zoom Info, they're very good if you're targeting enterprises, but all right. of these B2B you know, data vendors like Zoom Info and others are terrible at helping you reach small businesses like I need to reach. So I very much want mm-hmm. that product. If somebody's working on that product, please call me. Please make sure it's good because I'm very particular. But uh, before you do, it's just some <laughs> random list of stuff. It's not going to work. I think that there is a big need. I would love to do that someday, but I've got a tiger by the tail already. Yes, yes. You know, where do you see, like, there's a lot of attention on small businesses, right? We have way more entrepreneurs now with the catalyst of COVID, right? Yeah. And there's a lot of attention on small businesses now. There's technology that's really helping small businesses compete with the Goliaths. Like this pent-up demand is just, it's gone past the tipping point and SMBs are really starting to get some help. Where do you see this like really starting to catch fire, just not even just with what you're doing, but right. SMBs really starting to change the trajectory even more of our economy. I would love to say I see that right now. I don't. We see, you know, definitely see the rise of the gig worker. We don't teach people how to run a business in high school. I really think we should, especially with the rise of the gig worker, right? So, you know, you get these gig workers and they just or kind of follow, most of them, right? Just kind of like they show up, they do the thing, but they're not thinking about, you know, the business analytics around it, right? Like, am I better driving for Uber or Lyft? Why? What are the, what's the metrics behind that? What, you know, the dollars earning per hour versus my cost per hour. How do I analyze my cost per hour? I'm just picking on the, the Uber Lyft thing, but take any small business, right? The majority of new small businesses still fail and they still fail for really simple reasons. And it's usually cash flow and finance and that type of thing. And very few college students get that training, right? Unless you're a business major, you really don't go through any basic accounting, right? Well, you maybe you jump into QuickBooks and you kind of figure it out, but you don't really understand double entry accounting. You don't understand a balance sheet. You don't understand how to maximize those things to make you better. To get small business really going in the United States again, I think it should be a mandatory, at least one mandatory course in the, at the high school level. I agree with you. I totally agree with you. I've never heard that before either. We talk about STEM and women in STEM, right? And that should be at the entry-level position, the entry-level education and so forth. But you're very right. Yeah, STEM's incredible. You're very you know, right. My son's uh, right now at Cal Poly for mechanical engineering, and I couldn't be more proud of him. But there is nothing in that education. You know, he's in calculus four. He can do math that makes my head spin. and not a single class on how to balance a a checkbook or know whether, you know, how to even look at your accounts and understand them and think about cash flow and nothing. So interesting. It's such a crime against humanity on our education system, isn't it? And it's almost like right there in front of us, the deer in headlights, like, and so many people would be interested in that's just at the high school level, but you know, even in college and so forth, or vocational training. Yeah, my goodness. I mean, there's this whole thing on LinkedIn. I just saw that, you know, they're capitalizing on the market of people not hiring based on education anymore, but they're hiring on people's like absolute skill sets that they've learned, you know, on their own. (laughs) It's interesting, isn't it? 
as much as I'm a very big supporter of STEM, right? I think it was a huge mistake, though, to leave vocational. You know, my high school had an auto shop. It had a welding, you know, all kinds of stuff. You know, high schools don't have that anymore. But no, they don't. A lot of welders make more than software engineers. It's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. There are chambers around the country that are working very hard in their communities to put vocational programs back because people can, you know, go through a vocational program and make a hundred grand a year, like, you know, easy peasy or someone could get a, you know, truck driving, you know, go to school for six weeks and start making 60 grand out of the gate, right? Like these are vocations that run our country. After 2008, right, everybody fled the construction business and we're not training new people in the construction business. And we have this huge, you know, problem with housing affordability in the United States and we don't have enough people to build the units that we need. So, you know, there's, I mean, it it has big economic impacts as well, the fact that we've not taught some of these skills that are really needed in the market. So very true. Well, let's continue to help them. (laughs) And people who are listening to this podcast who are very interested in those markets, go disrupt your markets. Do that. But do it for small business, please. Don't do it for enterprise. We've got enough assholes doing it for enterprise. Yes, (laughs) SMBs. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Do it for SMBs for sure. When did you have the epiphany where you said that's it? I'm going to help small businesses? Yeah. You know, I felt the small business thing. I'm a small town guy, right? Like, uh, you know, I did live in the Bay Area for a while uh, doing tech software. And despite being in tech, like I always gravitate back to small towns. I live in a little town called Truckee and Northern California. I grew up in a small town in Central California. And I got to know business owners and I worked in local businesses. And it's just as a small local business owner myself, you know, I'm, you know, give to the local lacrosse team and, the you know, et cetera, and help build local trails and things like that. So it's always kind of been there for me. But honestly, you know, I had the the three startups in Silicon Valley was focused like everybody in Silicon Valley on trying to solve other people's problems that I didn't fully understand. Mm. And then the dot-com crash happened and I found myself, I moved out to my vacation home and had a good friend who was a, a commercial broker and he was making a lot of money, but he was working not half as hard as I was. I was like, well, this is kind of interesting. Discovered real estate, real estate investing and did that for five years and met a lot of the other, a lot of the people I was competing with were people who were successful, small business folks and the rest, but was very focused on this property information. I actually originally wanted to build a Bloomberg terminal for real estate, built software first for myself, then made it available to other investors. We were kind of the picks and shovels, which is how I ended up on 60 Minutes, picks and shovels through the foreclosure crisis for Blackstone and all the folks buying all the foreclosures. And then went to property information, kind of moving forward with this Bloomberg terminal for real estate focus. And just my enterprise mindset from Silicon Valley was still like, how do I do this? Bring this data, make it more available to big business, et cetera. One day I just, I woke up and realized like a lot of our customers are just mom and pops. Like they're buying rental houses, they're flipping properties to eat and, you know, they're employing people. And they're mostly using us to find their next opportunity, marketing. And then it all just clicked for me. And I said, wow, you know, I really care about small business. I think this could really help small business. That became my my why. 
Wow. Well, you definitely fit the disruptor model of having compassion. It's cool. Good for you, Sean. Sean, what do you do outside of work? Like, do you have any like crazy passions? Are you complete couch potato? Are you an amateur baker or part-time logger? (laughs) Like, what do you do? That's a very, very long list. I have way too many, uh, way too many hobbies. That's awesome. Okay, give me, give me your favorite hobbies. Probably mountain biking, but I'm a pilot. I do a lot of boating. Yeah, a lot of water sports. You know, um, my latest one is something called wing surfing, which go look that up. It's super cool and e-foiling and, you know, but yeah, no, I'm way, a lot of uh, electronics. I have a, a whole like CNC machine shop in my garage and yeah, no, I'm, yeah, uh, I'm out of control on that front. Uh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I could see that about you. Totally. You I am familiar. Day. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I love water sports. Oh, good. Yeah. That's yeah, uh, that, that probably is my favorite. That, mountain biking is a close tie, but the water sports overall, I'm a water baby. I could be in the water every day. Yeah, I could too. There's really something about the freedom that you have on the water and the the lack of being landlocked and the horizon and yeah. Sean, how do people get a hold of you? How do they find you? I'm Sean at propertyradar.com, Sean O'Toole on LinkedIn, Property Radar. I mean, I think I have, I've been on LinkedIn long enough that it's Sean, o- S-E-A-N-O-T-O-O-L-E, same Facebook, yeah, all the all the usual Twitter, all the usual uh, things, but easy, easy to reach for sure. Good. And there was one thing that I wanted to say for our listeners and also for you. Recently, we were researching some studies and I found that, you know, the advertising industry is a real barometer for what happens with the economy, right? The more people spend in the economy that in advertising, that has a direct impact on our GDP, right? So if we take that, yeah, it's very true. So if we take that, we hear all this, you know, impending doom (laughs) on the news about recession or this or that. But in all the studies I've been reading and so forth, if you take that macrocosm and you apply it to, you know, a small business of microcosm and you advertise, you can directly not only impact your gross revenues and your, you know, product, but you are contributing to the GDP and we can be in control. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. That's, uh, that's great. Like, yeah, just, you know, keep your foot on the, uh, I mean, you see that right now, you see all these companies, tech companies with lots of cash in the bank laying people off because that's become the in vogue thing to do, not because they have to or anything else, but just because Wall Street's decided they care more about profitability than growth right now. And, you know, it kind of creates the outcome. And it's, uh, it's too bad. It is. Well, what do you want to have our listeners end off with? Like, what's the motto of, of this for you? What do you want to have a takeaway? Oh, I think the the biggest thing, especially if you're a, a small business owner, is you know the best way to compete against big business. And this is a this is a long term tech motto about how to start a tech company, but it so applies to how small business can compete with big business, and that is do things that don't scale. So I'll give you a, just we'll use the direct mail example, right? So Zillow is not going to send everybody, every homeowner in the United States direct mail, right? Because it cost them $75 million and they'd be better off buying a Super Bowl ad. But you, you know, locally can send 
a direct piece of direct mail that's targeted, relevant, you know, local, neighborly, right? And you can do a much better job than Zillow ever could with that piece of advertising or a phone call or an email, right? These direct things. And they can't do that at scale. You can do it though for your local market, right? You may have a thousand people you're targeting. That's only $500. It's affordable for you. It's not for big business. So by doing these things that don't scale, these, these direct outreach models, A, they're way more personal than the rest. And people go, oh, direct mail. People just put that in the, in the trash. But if you think about that, that piece of direct mail, you've got to get it out of the mailbox. You see it, right? Then you put it on your kitchen counter and you sort through it. You see it again. And then, yeah, sure, you put it in the trash can. But put it on your fridge can. if you need it in the future, if you're not ready to call right away. That's right? ideal. But even if it goes to the trash can, if you think about the impressions that piece makes on the way to the trash can versus an ad scrolling by on the web or on your phone, I guarantee you that 50 cents is better spent than 50 cents online. And I'm not, so very I'm not saying don't do online advertising. I'm just saying it, it has its place. And especially for local business, there's things you can do that don't scale that give you, I think, real advantages. It's a great piece of advice. You know, SMBs really do have the power. They just need to tap into it. Yeah. Awesome. Sean, thank you so much. I've absolutely loved this. I'm on a war path to help SMBs and I have been for quite a while and I'm glad you are too. This has been one of my my favorites, even though I will tell all my other listeners <laughs> who've been on the show that they are my favorites too. Everybody is my favorite in their own right, right? Absolutely. It's the way it should be. That's right. Thank you, Katie. Oh, you're so welcome. You're so welcome. That's a wrap, everyone. If you learned something today and laughed, go tell someone about this podcast and tell people to go disrupt their markets to help SMBs with a tidbit from this show. Thanks for listening to Disruption Interruption, where we transform lives, change consumer behavior, alter economics, and never accept the status quo. Ciao for now. Because we live in a highly litigious society with America being one of the top litigious countries in the world, here's our legal disclaimer. This advice is not intended to be a substitute for professional public relations or legal advice. Do not disregard seeking professional legal healthcare or financial advice or delay seeking professional PR or legal advice because of something you have heard here. Contact an attorney to obtain advice on any particular legal issue or problem. Use of this podcast or our website or any of its social media or email links. Do not create an agency client relationship between Joto PR and the user.